Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. All right, welcome into our second regenerative roundtable. As always, I'm Oliver Gaucher here with Jeremy Fellows and Neil Haggerty. Say hi, fellas, and we'll jump right in. What up, Oliver? What up, Jeremy? Hey, you two. And everyone else out there. <laughs> we have seen way too much of each other in the last couple of months. It's no novelty introducing ourselves in. But we've got a lot of new stuff going on. And so let's start off this little conversation by talking about some of the things that we've been doing since our last recording. There's been a lot happening with the development of the regenerative homestead model. So Neil, tell us one of the bigger things that's been happening over the last few weeks. Goats, man! It's all—it's all about goats. It's all about the goats. I don't—I don't care about anything else anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, we got the goat system going. Uh, m- mostly, me and one other volunteer built the goat house. Well, we were lucky because the the bamboceros were alongside building the house, so they kind of guided me. It was great to have Oliver uh, here to kind of oversee the process and to climb up on the roof and put on the roofing because I'm too old for that stuff. You're not too old. It's just you fell out of an avocado tree a couple of months ago. And since trauma, then, trauma. you're traumatized. <laughs> a little bit. For some reason, you don't seem to like heights it's, anymore. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind heights, but falling out of them <laughs> sucks. Yeah, so, we're so keeping take you. Us, Take us through it from the beginning. Tell us how the goat house was designed to work mostly and how we've got that system running at the moment. So the basics of the goat house design is uh, we built we built it from offcuts from the from the bamboo project and from leftover bamboo that Shad had. So we put it together nice and cheap, but it's a nice design because we built it to be closed along the bottom. So we've got these... Uh, Lepas, like offcuts from uh, cypress trees, um, and that's make the walls. And then it's it's open along the top part, and it's got a bamboo frame, so that it has nice airflow. I guess that's the main thing that I'd say. But it's it's nice and safe. The ghosts can't get out of it. Not that they really even want to once they're in there because it's so nice. And it just looks like a really, it's, it's an attractive looking structure and the goats are really happy in it. The deep bedding is a big part of it, so we put straw down underneath them pretty much every day. And then eventually that will have a chicken house built adjacent to it, which I think is a great uh, design because as we know from looking at animal system, 
omnivore always follows herbivore, right? So like having the, the, one of the things I'm most excited about the goats is how they graze and the things they graze on. Like they go out and I spent a lot of time walking with them over the last couple of months. Um, and they go out and they they graze all these vines, all these pioneer species. They really look for minerals. That's what goats do. They have very high mineral requirements. I think the highest of all domesticated herbivores. Um, so I see them as going around and just collecting all these nutrients and then depositing them back on our land, which we catch with the straw. But they do compact that. Uh, they do compact their bedding and it goes a little bit anaerobic and when you clean out a goat house it's a little bit gnarly but we've got a big door that opens up on the back of it which will open out into our chicken house so once every few months i figure we'll empty the goat house down into the chicken house which will then empty will empty the and the, and the chickens will just attack it it'll be full of little bugs and worms that they'll just love to feast on and uh, and then that will be emptied out again and then the whole thing is built alongside our garden so the chickens will be able to be we've put it we're putting a lot of fencing in we're going to fence off our food forest areas so we'll build a chicken house with several doors and so we're able to send them to different places the garden being one and all that compost will end up in our in our garden in our uh, in our trees and for me it's really i think this is a big point there's a lot of talking like agroecology and things like that about how to remineralize soil and a lot of like kind of like complicated um, bioferments and all these things you can do with rock salts. And they're all great for sure, but for me, it's so low efficiency just to let the goats recuperate all those minerals, pass them through their uh, digestive tracts and then deposit them as as manure in our land which we'll then pass through our our omnivores and eventually turn out as finished bokashis you know so that's the f the foundation of the design is that and it also having them it extends in a sense the productive capacity of our land because we have a small piece of land but we're surrounded by we live right near a riverbed and there's this whole area that kind of floods out right across the road from us on a regular basis that people don't really want to build on or plant on but it's full of these pioneer species um so we have all this grazing land right there and it's yeah it's great how is it how is it helpful for these what we'll call like zone four kind of riparian zones how is it helpful for the having the goats there is it helpful for that ecosystem neil yeah i think i think enormously you can't undervalue um the the work that herbivores like goats are going to do in those kind of riparian perennial systems because they'll prune it for us they'll they'll add their manure um like i say they'll remineralize it they live essentially in complete symbiosis with our with our perennial food forest systems yeah and one thing that I wanted to highlight about this system is is a little bit more of what you talked about with the design of the building. To give you guys an idea, uh, obviously without seeing it can be a little bit difficult, but we're on a slight slope. And we've built the goat pen up at the top of this slope. And each succession of how we're processing the manure and the compost just goes downhill. So all we have to do is, like you were saying, every couple of weeks or, or months, when the goats have compacted down the straw and the brush that we put down in there, 
we just open that large door, bring all of that material down for the chickens to further process, add their own nutrients to, and there's a couple of stages in that, that lower end. There's going to be a couple of swales dug in there for, um, for moisture, but also for some of the companion plants that you're planning on putting there. Uh, we're going to get a couple of trees established before the chickens uh, can can mess them up too much. Obviously, they need to mature a little bit. Yeah, the chickens won't be allowed into that area for quite a while. We'll build a chicken house so it's big enough that the chickens will actually be happy staying in there for long periods while newly planted areas mature and come along. Um, the big thing about this system for me is it's a knowledge-intensive rather than labor-intensive system. So there is a whole thing that I've seen around countries like Guatemala where goats get given to people kind of maybe by NGOs for like income generating projects. And that shows that people understand that goats can be the closest thing to free food in a mountainous landscape that you can get. But because of sort of lack of basic understanding and management, people abandon them after a while. One is that they don't know about the necessity of carbon so you have to add carbon to these systems otherwise the animals will get sick it'll start to smell in there and then the other one is you have to know how to manage the goats you have to know one thing is you have to be able to get rid of the males you have to kill the males or sell them um, so what i've typically seen happen is families who get given goats they end up with too many males and the goats are always either pregnant or nursing and they never have milk And also when there's males around, the milk doesn't taste that good. Um, we only have, we have five females at the moment. The plan is to like little by little bring that number up, but we have no males. We'll only introduce a male when it's time to get the goats pregnant, which for me will be at the start of rainy season here because that's when the place flushes up. It's also when tourism dies down, so there's not as much milk and yogurt to sell. So that'll be the time when they get to really graze hard on the land as much as they want because there'll be so much growth um, and they'll need to graze a lot because they'll be pregnant. And then we can, you know, start the weaning process, start the separation process, get rid of the males. For, and that is also a great source of meat. You know, one of the things we talk about that I was going through with uh, some students recently was this idea of <clears throat> in permaculture, they always talk about every important function every every important element in your design should perform at least three functions so we can clearly see that with the goats the manure and the remineralization is is one amazing one the production of nutritious food was a big goal that we put when we started on this place so they're clearly meeting that function um and then also we talked about and then, and then they say that we want to talk about every important function being supported by at least three elements. So if we're talking about producing like really good food for ourselves, protein is also a really big thing that we need in our diets. Everybody does in some form of an, or another. So we'll have our chickens providing us with eggs and also meat. But like I say, needing to thin out the herd and get rid, getting rid of the males will be another huge production of protein. And what I'm really excited about, our cheese is coming out really nicely here. And um, the cheese, the, a byproduct of the cheese is, is whey. 
super high protein concentrate so our plan that we came up with the other day is to take the whey and grind and ferment corn in the whey and then feed that to our fish or our chickens so that's another so that protein can get turned into fish or chicken so that there you see that by thinking about the um off products or the, the outputs of the system all of the outputs um and thinking about what to do with them we can see how we can really easily support important functions from various elements nice yeah it's all about making use of all of the products on any system and if you're not directly reusing them in the original system they become the feed or integrated into some other closed loop that we are trying to um, facilitate yeah and finding easy ways of doing it you know like eliminating work because at the end of it it's true what they say the the production of any system the yield of any system is only limited but is only is only limited by the imagination of the designer and that is true but it's also a little bit of a half true because it's the it's really the imagination and the time everybody who comes here says oh you guys there's so much medicinal plants here you should take out essential oils or you're producing whey you should bottle that and sell it as a smoothie supplement and you could do all these things but each one of them has to be a system on its own that somebody then has to manage so you know just this simple thing of every second day we make yogurt we take all the milk that's accumulated that we haven't either drank or sold um, and we turn it into yogurt then every three days we take all the yogurt that we haven't eaten or sold and we turn it into cheese and we do that in a really efficient way and then the way that comes off that just we wang it into a bucket wang some ground corn in on top of it <laughs> and we make high protein animal concentrates which are actually normally really really expensive and unsustainably produced but yeah like low input systems that flow i like yeah. to design every one of these systems for me on sunday morning when jeremy and oliver aren't here and adriana's in bed and i'm a little bit hung over and grumpy i don't want <laughs> we're we're simple men we need we need things to be as simple as possible yeah we don't need all this other stuff going on and neither do you yeah. any unnecessary steps we are getting rid of from the beginning so jeremy uh so goats, man. Can I keep talking about the goats? You can. We'll come back to you. I know you're a bit <laughs> obsessed right now. Let's <laughs> go crazy. We're, we're <laughs> goats is the answer to all problems, by the way, in case you're wondering. The, the answer to all your existential dilemmas is it, it's goats. So <laughs> I've solved that one. I hope you're happy. Moving yeah. on. Yeah, that, there you go. That's the price of admission right there. So, Jeremy, tell us a little about, about um, the water systems that you've been spearheading over the last handful of weeks. How has it been managing volunteers and students coming in on this as well? Um, and what is sort of the larger plan that is going to not only keep everything well, uh, well watered, but just like Neil was talking about, cut down any unnecessary work or routine that can be circumvented through design? Okay, sweet. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, much like with Neil's system, we work together a lot and these systems need to work together. Um, what I'm focused on uh, and what I will be focused on in the next coming months is water systems on this property. And with that, the earthworks necessary for the water systems to flow. Basically, 
the earthworks that we're putting together right now are carving the pathways, the pathways for energy, for sources that we get on our property to make their way through the land. Um, and so one of those sources is water, and that's what I'll talk about. Another source is our volunteer labor that we have going in, going on right now. So how do we put those two things together? Well, we get people here that are really interested to, to learn and help us. And we try to get them doing meaningful, permanent, or at least semi-permanent jobs for us that can open up new pathways for production, for um, new ideas even. Uh, anything we do here... We try to do in a creative way. We try to do it a little bit differently every time. We try to do it in a way where we can look at it again and reconfigure it if we have to. Uh, an example is putting our water source in a certain spot, putting in connected tube ways to move it around the property, see where it works best and try to um, elaborate the system based off of which part of it seems to be functioning best. Um, it sounds a little vague, so we'll get into some specifics here. Uh, we've got a pool that we developed, or a sort of reservoir. Do you? We dug. <laughs> we developed it. Developed sounds a little fancy. We, we dug a hole. <laughs> it's not that simple. Okay? Listen, there's a lot of work that goes into digging a hole when 50% of it is rocks. Okay? Yeah, I know, but it, that's something to keep in mind is like we're basically in a boulder field. Yeah. So any earthworks that we do is a huge pain by regular standards. And we don't live in a place where we can get heavy machinery to do this work for us. No. Right. So that we is a big factor. Yeah. Well, well, basically the medium machine. <laughs> if we dig a hole, if we dig a hole and we mound up the soil on the downhill side of it and we just leave it like that, it's got loads of rocks in it and you're not going to grow much and the plants aren't going to be that happy. As well as the soil will have way too much drainage and basically it's not going to be that useful. All the rocks we pull out though can be used for construction. We pull the gravel out, we fill in the backside of, of drywalls that we build and we use the large rocks to actually construct the caps for the walls. Um, I feel like that is super important and a lot of people yeah. You know, there's a book, there's at least an article in the toe of digging holes that I'm, I'm seeing here. Yeah. The whole thing of like putting the good soil to one side and not burying it somewhere behind yeah. your wall. Or probably, just keeping Which is it. what you'll do if you just dig and, and flatten out or, or dig and build if walls. If you just do it as fast as you can, it's it's not going to, and it, it, this is permanent stuff, folks. Like you're not going to want to come back in and try to resift the soil, try to reconfigure it. That kind of stuff is pretty straightforward, but it takes a lot of time. And when we have loads of people here willing to help us, it's a perfect job. We get them to dig holes, we get them to sift the soil, and we get them <laughs> to put it back to be where fair, it was. I will say, to be fair to you, you, you sound a little bit like a slave owner right now, but <laughs> you know, you generally get them to dig holes by digging the holes yourself, and they they join in and follow you. You know, so yeah, it's like, totally. It's I good mean, leadership for sure. Like, I mean, if no one was here, we'd be doing it ourselves. Anyways. We have been doing it ourselves too. I mean, just because we've had students and volunteers here isn't to say that we're not getting our hands dirty or like we're just sitting back no. and drinking no, coffee and, and telling I don't, people what yeah, to do. Yeah, I don't go and point over there, go do that. I come over and I help them get started. I put some music on. That's a key. Bring the, the vibe up. a lot. Make some jokes, make them laugh. <laughs> it's also pretty sweet. We're keeping people loaded with 
beautiful like home roasted coffee from our land with a little bit of milk from our land which we Oliver milked I Oliver got me to spray the milk right into his coffee this morning. It doesn't get any fresher than that and, and like it was already warm so it didn't really cool down <laughs> oh, the coffee. I was psyched about it. I mean when you can give people those kind of stimulants and put yeah. some electrocumbia on in the background it's like <laughs> digging a hole becomes fun, no? Well yeah. think about it this way too like within a condensed course where you're learning about a lot of concepts People then leave uh, an educational session like that thinking, okay, I understand the system. And then they go out to implement it and they realize that 95% of their time is digging holes and sifting soil and all of these things that, you know, seems like dumb and uh, kind of skillless labor. But if you don't factor that into the design, how much labor that it takes um, and how monotonous a lot of these tasks Plus are. Plus how to do it right. Yeah. Like how to but you, have, you end up with a really unrealistic idea of what it's going to take to implement your designs. And, you and I think into, that is key. You turn into one of those horrible designers that everybody hates because you just come up with these really nice looking ideas, but someone else has to implement them and they're not practical. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one thing that we've been really well-rounded on since we have been the people implementing our own and other people's designs for years. That is a big thing that we consider in the projects that we start to get underway. Um, and that's just one of those things that comes with experience. So while Jeremy and Neil might be talking about, you know, just like getting groups out here digging holes, it's surprisingly necessary, you know, though it may seem unglamorous. We're, we're at that point. It's a realistic expectation. Yeah, but, and I like, like the, uh, the actual answer to every existential environmental question is, is goats and dig holes. That's... <laughs> Okay. That's really. Oh, you changed your rhetoric. I, I added. All right. Well, that's digging holes is great because, <laughs> dude, all the water just seeps in. It's like it's super zen. So, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this whole digging holes thing a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> in case we haven't gotten that out of our system the, yet. The, no, but for real, the zen of digging holes, man. Go with it. There's a book in this. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's all about accumulation, folks. Goats accumulate. Holes accumulate. Goat stomachs are like holes. They just fill up. <laughs> with stuff we want and then it they it comes out in various forms um and we try to use all of those so same with holes same with holes they accumulate, fill up with, man they accumulate with stuff like organic matter and water it's just and, a matter of time all of a sudden with these systems in place time becomes a resource as opposed to something with, scary and existential and it's, a hole with plants around it oh my god <laughs> so there you go that this is the full circle we're you know, looking at here folks and then like, the plants that grow around the hole you feed to what <laughs> goats goats with, i feel goats. like you just wanted another opportunity to say goats you know but you're not wrong like, really <laughs> but hang on so before we totally lose the plot here there's been another big development that has started fruiting over the last couple of weeks and jeremy has spearheaded the mushroom cultivation fruited fruiting <laughs> fruiting mushrooms so tell us about how you got the spores started and some of the challenges that we've had in getting them into an environment that allows them to grow yeah, so um, before I start, um, whatever we say here, we're happy to hear um, ideas and recommendations because, as I said, we're creating systems that we are malleable, that um, can change and, and work better over time. Uh, we're not necessarily like where we're at with anything, and mushrooms is a perfect example of that. We were given an opportunity. We brought some, um, we brought some spawn here, some uh, spawn grown on straw. And it was already grown out. The mycelium was full. 
and we started using that immediately. We um, kind of had this aha moment with the mushrooms and it was something I didn't know before I started working with this round of mushrooms. I've worked with mushrooms before and it's always kind of petered out on me because the mushrooms fruit and then after they fruit they become less vigorous and after a while you're just left with a pile of straw. Which, you know, a broken down straw, that's great, but nonetheless it's like, why put all the work in if it's only going to amount to a, a bundle of mushrooms and then a pile of spent straw. Yeah, it's not that motivating. It's not that it's motivating. It's kind of like growing plants for the first time from something that doesn't give seed. And you <laughs> yeah, it's like growing like, oh, plants right. that don't give seed or yeah, something like that. It's kind of lame. But we can't, we had this aha moment because we've worked with kombucha, we've worked with uh, sourdough mothers, and guess and what? And yogurt. And guess what? From our goats. What goats. is the, what's the, Okay, the, same, the thing that links them all together is that they're all um, byproducts of fungi. And same when we grow mushrooms, of course, the fruiting bodies are what we eat. And the same principles we use. Basically, you need to keep a mother going with any system you, you're working with mushrooms. And by that, we mean uh, keeping a box or a jar or something like that with the culture alive in it so that you can then re-expand it in new medium that the mushrooms can consume and uh, produce byproducts. And it, I can't believe I hadn't thought of it sooner. Do the same thing with mushrooms grown on, on, on straw or some kind of media like that. So basically we got this mu these mushrooms, we pasteurized some straw, which is basically bringing it up to, um, I'll, we'll do this in Fahrenheit, um, Anywhere from 140 degrees Fahrenheit up to 175-ish degrees Fahrenheit, preferably up to that higher degree, but... Which converts to like 30 liters, I think, so go on. 30 liters? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! Or maybe it's uh, millimeters. Jesus. I don't know if I got my quartz. metric right. No, it's quartz. It's pints. Oh, you fool. you're right, it's pints. <laughs> These are ruining this. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely worth interrupting you for. Um, they need the keys. <laughs> so <laughs> it's true, though. Take a second. You know, the key to anything is sustaining the mother. Like, you know, you could, you could. Take yeah, the that, higher producer, right? The higher the producer. The thing that's reproducing. Okay, yeah. yeah. So getting back to the mushrooms of that, you, you need to keep your mother going. Or you have to buy new spawn all the time with vigorous um, genetics in it. Um, so. so Anyways, <laughs> that keep it together, chair. Basically, on. that means that you have to constantly feed this thing and take out bits of it. So we have this box that we created. We put this this um, this uh, hay with mycelium in it in there with pasteurized hay. In just ten days, it grew out completely. That's a great sign. It meant that our mushrooms are growing really well. From that, once that grows out, we take two-thirds of that, split that up into buckets or something like that. Those are our fruiting bodies, or our fruiting cells, whatever you want to call it, fruiting buckets. And then we add new pasteurized hay to our mother box. Basically, if we keep doing this, the mother will go on forever. She'll keep consuming more hay, keep producing new fruiting buckets for us. But the trick is that we have to keep her from fruiting, which means we have to keep feeding her and taking out stuff from it. It's just like with the goats too though, if you don't milk the goats, if you don't get products from them, they stop giving it to you. Or so, fruit trees or anything. anything if, if you neglect any system, it stops 
being abundant. And guess what we can use all the spent hay for that's no super mycelium rich? Ding, ding, ding. What can we use that for? Oh, my God. We can throw it <laughs> into the gold house. And oh, wait. No, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say Crocodiles, no, we haven't gotten to that yet. We haven't done permaculture crocodiles yet. Into the gold house, man. And that's just a fungal <laughs> injection into our composting system. So, yeah, no waste. I got to say, there's one thing before we get uh, go on. And it has to do with goats. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Does it now? <laughs> I, I have to give like a big shout out really to Adriana, my partner. Um, she's a <laughs> Colombian lady who's too shy to talk on this podcast. Partially because she doesn't really speak very much English. Um, but also partially because she, she thinks three of us are stupid. <laughs> and she's right. She's um, not wrong. You know, she has a point. Um, but she's really the star in this because... The other big thing with with products and people like Joel Salat and and actually Shad from Adidas Organics helped me to understand this better than anyone. If you don't manage your production properly, you just end up doing all this work for nothing Mm, and then you can't sustain it. So adding value to your products, you know, we got one of the first things we did when we got the goats was we set up a yogurt making station and Adriana is just nailing it with. Not oh, the just yogurt's with, coming out so good. And it's, but then it's not just with making the yogurt. It's actually keeping accounts of how much milk gets produced per day, how much yogurt gets sold, how much gets turned into cheese, so that we can look back on it after a month or two and say, okay, we spent this much on corn, we spent this much on time walking them, we produced this much. Well, this is worth scaling up. Yeah. And... It's so true, because, and, and they are, I mean, I, I will, I'll, I'll harp on about it, they're such an integral part to an agroforestry model, a, a herbivore that functions well in that ecosystem. They Just have serious turnover, basically. Amazing turnover, but managing it is a whole other That's kettle all, of fish, you know? Well, yeah, if you have turnover, that means that you have constant maintenance. So it's a catch-22, isn't it? Like, you get, as much as, you get out as much as you put in. No right. matter what. And if you don't have the time to put into it, you have to make that decisive call from the beginning. And you know, design we, accordingly. We made yeah. a big call by getting the goats here. And we did. It was, it was a ballsy move because we were doing so much other stuff at the time. But, you yeah. know, I think in the history of the Abundant Edge, it'll be seen as... Yeah. It's like our... our we're going to look back on these moments, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when we got the goats. So yeah. we're at this kind of... Uh, sort of pivotal point with the mushrooms too. They're not at production level yet. Um, they're a bit of work as, as as of right now. We're not getting that much out of it. So we're like trying... We're getting mushrooms in the kit for to fry and have with our eggs in the morning. But, yeah. But and that's we, nice. But it's all about... It's not justifying itself quite yet. Yeah. We, yeah. Need, to, we need to put structures around products and a, a, around sort of... Uh, energy streams coming into the property and it, it's a tricky line to find in permaculture because it's true there's that line in the designer's manual that says the yield of a system is limited only by your imagination but it really is that thing of your imagination and your time and there's a reason why humans slowly descended into monocultures because easier. the more complex the less complex the system is the easier it is to manage and so you you do get into trying to make uh, a little bit of money at this farming thing and you do sort of find yourself gravitating towards one or two systems that really pay well. And I think for me the key is 
is just that it's having a few systems that are economically viable and then having a whole diverse ecosystem that supports those and probably just but it's not dependent on homestead yeah, yeah but it isn't dependent on as a primary enterprise or profiting so, so really decision making ways it's important to decide on which is which ones are hobbies that feed the the main system and which ones are the main systems that actually pay the bills and and yeah. keep the lights on. And once again, it comes back to this, like, once you open up the tap, you can't close it, right? Like, yeah. so the goats are an open tap and they can't really, you can't be like, ah, oh, we'll just kind of like, yeah, it's just like, let's not milk for the next couple of weeks. You yeah. Know? See what happens then. Same with the mushrooms. If we forget about them for a while, they're Gone. done. And like, and we, we don't can, get it back. Yeah. I mean, we can get new ones in here, but like, you know, we're not going to. Right. <laughs> We've got too many other things going on. Yep. Same with the water system. Like, um, we, we siphon in water from the river and we put it into biological sources. If we tried to slow down that water, it would eventually clog up on us and not work at all. Or erode our landscape, if actually, we, which yeah. would be even worse if we didn't do the work to deal with it. Which yeah, is exactly. insane, like the amount of work. <laughs> it's like we're losing our minds a little bit. Like, it's it's great. I'm laughing about it. I have a great time, but it gets, nothing about the house, it yeah. gets crazy, you know, when you've got even just three main components that you're trying to juggle. Yeah. Um, this trying to impose structures around them so that they flow properly and they work. It's not an easy task. And I'm really glad that we have a, a good team here because it's none of us would be able to do it on our own either. No, it makes all the difference. It's why I think we should take our time on on this whole idea of like farming crocodiles, you know? Like, <laughs> no, nah, man, that's one of those taps I'm willing to open. <laughs> we got this terrible problem. You can't just uh, open a crocodile tap and yeah. close it, dude. Wa- watch me. <laughs> <laughs> we got all these problems with stray dogs coming in and it's messing with our garden. I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that crocodiles are Crocodile the best modes. security system. Easy. But, okay, so... To that was a kinda joke, com- by the way. Eh. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Sit on it for a while. Not the crocodile. You'll regret that. Um, <laughs> all right, we're losing the plot. That's your joke. For the, that, that was, That's the only that was one I got. Clear joke. everyone that was. That, he gets only one per podcast. He's not one per podcast. Dad jokes. Notice yeah. how I don't make any jokes on the other episodes. It has to be reined in. Um, but no. So I wanted to expand on some of the concepts that you were talking about as they pertain to the land projects and give some examples of how they can be reflected in the actual infrastructure that we're building. Now, of course, I'm the one who's kind of mostly taken the lead on the construction of the main house, and I helped out quite a bit on the the goat house, just making sure that it stood up and <laughs> Thanks, didn't, Ollie. didn't fall over. <laughs> yeah, on account of you, you getting little, for that. <laughs> on account of you like getting lazy and just connecting something with wire, <laughs> which we will do. We're but actually, so that. this is something that we talk about a lot in natural building for people who are just getting started. If you've got some skills and you're ready to start uh, testing them out, but are still feeling a little uncomfortable with taking on something as large as a house or a bigger structure. The goat house was perfect for teaching some of our students and apprentices and Neil um, how to work with bamboo because it requires some difficult cuts. It's not as simple as just connecting square pieces of dimensional lumber. Yeah, there's a pretty clear, the the front south side of the house compared to the back north side of the house, there's a clear difference between (laughs) the diagonal cuts uh, (laughs) and you can clearly see the point at which Neil realized how to actually do those so they came out clear it's like you know the first one is 
works, but it's pretty horrible. There's a big gap at some <laughs> point. And they get progressively slightly less worse. And then suddenly one of the bamboceros was like, you know, showed me how to measure everything beforehand. So the thing just fits in like a glove and you're like, boom. But it's like, you <laughs> you know, so you can, it's a fun structure to look at. You can see my learning curve. Well, and I love that about as oh, the infrastructure yeah. goes in, you know, job, buddy. you can see the progression and the learning curve of the people who got in on it. And having something like the goat house where you can make mistakes and it's fine is really the best way to learn. Because, you know, you can read about it all you want, how to make these cuts, but you got to mess a few of them up. Yeah, so just, no way clicked. you're going to get around that. No. So just build a goat house wherever you are. <laughs> build a goat house. And, and apartments in the city are good for goats. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Build one on your balcony, I think. Actually, mushrooms are good in the city. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, that's true. Dude. Forget about this guy and his goats, okay? If you're in an urban environment, grow some damn mushrooms. <laughs> you're, have I, some fun, okay? That's, that's true, actually. Yeah. yeah. Mushrooms are fun. But so you said also earlier about how you want to try and design out any unnecessary tasks or things that could be kind of the linchpins that would cause a system to fall apart for, you know, maybe somebody wasn't there or economic not an, reasons. Yeah, economic reasons, all sorts of stuff. And that is one of the key things that you can really turn around in, in a house. I mean, a living space is for, for just about all people out there, including farmers where all of your resources get routed through. If you think of any property that you would have, the house or the living space is like the nucleus of that. All of the resources go to supporting that lifestyle. Goats don't need any <laughs> electricity. They barely need a water system. They're not cooking. They're not bathing like that, you know? So all of this gets routed through these nucleus uh, living centers. And that's where all of your processes can start to fall apart. You see that a lot in just how damaging the infrastructure in most cities and most towns is, where the only way to take care of any waste products is either to ship it off, say in the case of like black or gray water from your house, it has to go out to a sewer system, get processed on mass, and oftentimes uh, released back into some other natural water system. With garbage, you see that all the time. Even with recycling centers, you have to concentrate it away from the living centers and there's not any convenient way to process most of it on site. Even in the case of compost, although this is starting to get better, people realize that even in an urban or suburban environment, you can be processing and managing a lot of your own waste before it becomes a concentrated contaminant. And if you deal with it while it's still fairly benign before it starts to rot or concentrate, uh, it's much easier to process, much, much easier to process. You don't need a whole lot of extra infrastructure, tools, energy. Uh, compost is, is one of the best examples of this, right? So if you put it away into, say, a landfill, it's going to start to degrade probably anaerobically and just turn into a festering pile mixed in with a bunch of things that you wouldn't want to put back on your land. However, if you separate out some of your organic waste and put it into a small container, maybe a small space either inside of your living quarters or in a backyard or something, and allow it to churn regularly, monitor the chemistry just a little bit, it will break down into a useful product that, okay, you're not consuming again, but you are then uh, putting into another system to help close the loop, right? You're giving it some other type of feed and the byproduct um, the excess from those plants is usually something that you can use. Anything from oxygen to fruit to, um, you know, 
plants that are herbs and, and goat fodder. <laughs> goat fodder. <laughs> Look, turn your poop into goat fodder, and then turn your goat fodder into milk. Drink the milk, poop, poop it out, and and back it goes. We're really <laughs> getting back to basics process. now, aren't we? <laughs> In case anybody didn't know how digestion worked. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but it's all about digestion. Basically, all of the different sites are probably are, on our property are digesting things for us. Yeah, definitely. And we're doing it too. So we're not outside the system. We're part of it. Mm-hmm. We need to design ourselves and you never into wanna, the system. Yeah, you never want to outsource your own actions from a system. That's where things get expensive. That's where you need added infrastructure to deal with your own processes and, and that's when you're you dealing with ethical yourself. dilemmas honestly right because you can't really be fully responsible for your lifestyle simple as that <laughs> all right so to wrap things up here um what are we headed into in the next handful of weeks before the next one of these interviews oh my god uh <laughs> what aren't we, what aren't we heading into god only knows um <laughs> i think really just like continuing to uh work our asses off on the land get all the earthworks and the water systems and the house are going to be the big things we're focusing on now getting that stuff nailed i want to start getting especially the the house is really on a tight timeline now because we've got about a month maybe a month and a half left before uh the rainy season gets started the first rains are coming there's going to be some rain there will be and we haven't quite gotten the roofs up yet like the bamboo framing is finishing tomorrow and we're going to start to make some of the wood orders in order to put in the framing for the bahareke, which to the layperson is like a wattle and daub wall structure. Um, so those things really need to start going in soon. And the weather is going to be a factor if we start to slow down. Um, the rest of the systems can kind of get built at their own pace as we have extra labor and time. Um, but the house is is quite uh on a timeline for our own comfort it's and pressing we need it is pressing that we was another a, ballsy move was um, <laughs> we need a place to live i think is, we need a place to live is what oliver is trying to say yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> and we already started making it and it yeah you can't like, just leave it out in the rain no. yeah. for a season and hope it'll not be a fine idea. no a not with structure not and, with and, uh, natural mud materials. walls probably not a great idea so we need a roof on our house um that's yeah. pretty pressing um in terms of the earthworks and the and the property at large, even though it's not that large, it's it's it is daunting when you're trying to do these first steps of construction. And you want to do everything. You want to just stay. Well, yeah, because I mean, basically, whatever you can get the earthworks done means the stuff that you can plant. Yeah. Because you're not we're not going to plant things that we haven't done earthworks on yet. Right. So we need to get them ready. We need to get them in a place where they won't erode because the, the trees and the other plant, the perennial plants won't take hold that fast. So we need to develop systems that can hold themselves together and will lend themselves to nice um, growth through the rainy season. And part of that is getting our perennial guilds uh, started in our nursery, which I've been kind of hacking away at. I need some help. <laughs> <laughs> from some other people in the group. I don't that know would be who, great. who you're talking to. Um, I'll, just, I'll, just I'll just start helping with you. Uh, we I'll need to make more you. plants um, yeah, and we need to make dig more, more holes. Yeah, basically, make plants, dig holes. Yeah, get We're some soft soil. We're kind of back to soil. the start here, I feel like. No? <laughs> hey, oh, fancy goats. that. Yeah. Goats are done. Um, you know, so that's it, really. Dig, dig holes and put plants in them. Yeah. That's the next step. This stuff is actually pretty easy. We use a lot of big words, but that's really all we're talking about. Yeah. Put a roof over our heads, put plants in the ground that either feed us or our animals or the ecosystem in some other way. 
and uh, you know, just hope for the best. Really, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. We do live next to uh, volcanoes. We're in an earthquake zone. Yeah. Much lights happen. There's a lot of variables. <laughs> Yeah, we did have a forest fire the other day, which fortunately did not come very close to I've us. I've heard something about... There's a uh, lot of variables. The, the climate is either warming up or cooling down, but both outcomes are apparently terribly bad <laughs> whoever we talk to, so that's another uh, thing to worry about. Way to stay up on current events. Well, and uh, we have little, like, basically we're constantly having to make new decisions and changes in the design, and there's no way around that. I don't care who you think you are. Yeah, if don't like Clark don't, Kent don't or whatever. Try and do it. What are you trying, trying to say? Think that it's actually gonna happen like that. Um, <laughs> it's it's that's the way it is. And when we, you work with living systems, we yeah. thrive in the chaos. <laughs> we love it. Design. We love it. <laughs> we are all having a ball with this. Yeah, it's sure. working out so far. Great. Like we've got serious momentum, and I don't think it's gonna stop. And we haven't murdered each other. That's I. I that's, figured one person would have been murdered by now. Yeah. No. No, not by now. I'd say after the house. Once we're all living in the same house, that's when murder happens. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Stay. No, I, I actually don't. I disagree. I think it's like me and Adriana are living in our little bodega right now. And a team of like workers and volunteers arrive in on top of us at 7 o'clock in the morning. By which time the goats already have to be have been milked. And that same little bodega stroke tool shed is also where we process the goat products. It's... Uh, where all the power tools get stored. Just stacking functions, baby. And, you know, oh, stack, stack them right on you, Neil. Just on, stack on them right on you. functions on top of you and your partner's faces. <laughs> That's what we're doing right now. <laughs> so anyways, maybe, well, what on I'll say, note. yeah, silver lining. I think the house will actually make us a little more relaxed considering we'll have more space. Make me more relaxed. So. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, look, life is all about convincing yourself that at some point in the future, things are going to get better. So, that, you know. <laughs> There's really no other that's, way that you're going to keep going. That's what <laughs> so we're that's doing. That's what we're doing, you know. <laughs> it's going to get better soon, I promise. No, I'm having a great time. I and am too, actually. Stay tuned, folks, to see who gets murdered first. <laughs> um, <laughs> when Jeremy's <laughs> Wow, what a spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. You weren't supposed to say that while oh, I was Oh, then you can hear that out if you want. Yeah. All right, so before we go... Let me just remind everybody that we take questions. We didn't get around to do questions today because we, we talked a little long. And apparently the wind is going oh to God. blow our goat house down right now. So this is probably a good time to get going. Oh my um, God. But please submit any questions or uh, comments that you have to the Facebook page at the Abundant Edge podcast. Um, and... Yeah, we also look forward to seeing you here. We offer courses throughout the season, which uh, slows down when the rains come, but we'll start up again uh, mostly in November. So please come down and get involved with all these cool projects here. We have phenomenal uh, early stage systems that are perfect for learning uh, how to implement. And, you know, we also take volunteers and we will probably be running another apprenticeship program next year, though I haven't got any final details on that we definitely need to tweak it from this one um but yeah we'll talk to you again in about a month and check in on how all of this madness is going we'll uh <laughs> we'll see you again with a regular interview uh on next week's episode come on down <laughs> that was a good one that was fun <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. 
As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.